Shalom, and I would like to welcome everybody to the Hebraic Heritage Ministries Yeshiva Discipleship Program. We are currently doing a series on the biblical festivals. This week is going to be our second teaching on Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah as we are now going to be doing a series of teachings on the fall festivals. This week's session is entitled, The Themes of Yom Teruah. And looking at the themes of Yom Teruah, commonly called Rosh Hashanah, there are basically 12 major themes associated with Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah. They are as follows. It is associated with Teshuvah, which is the season of repentance. It is called Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. The biblical name is Yom Teruah, which means the day of the loud shout or the awakening blast. It is also known as Yom Hadin, or the day of judgment. It is known as Yom Hazikaron, the day of remembrance. It is known as Hamelik, the king or the coronation day. It is associated with the days of awe, the days in between Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur are known as the days of awe. The rabbis teach that on Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah, the gates of heaven are open to let the prayers of his people in. This is associated with Kedushin, Nesuin, the biblical wedding, that is because Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, is associated with the resurrection of the dead. And when we have our resurrection of our bodies, we are going to be going to a wedding with the Messiah. So that's how it's associated with the wedding. And we taught on that last week, as well as the association to the last trump or the last shofar. And finally, Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah is associated and it is referred to as known as Yom HaKiseh or the Hidden Day. In this session, we are going to be teaching in more detail on some of these themes. What we don't hit this week, we will finish up in the session next week. What does Rosh Hashanah mean? Rosh Hashanah means in Hebrew the head or the beginning of the year. The biblical name for this holiday is Yom Teruah, or it's commonly called in English the Feast of Trumpets. This comes from Leviticus or Vayikra chapter 23 and verse 24. We need to understand and remember that Rosh Hashanah, like all of the biblical festivals, they are referred to in Leviticus chapter 23 as being feasts of Yahweh, feasts of the God of Israel. Actually, to understand it more correctly, they are feasts of Yeshua, the Messiah. Let's look at this. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, and verse 24, it is written, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord. Notice that it doesn't say Jewish feasts. It's called the feasts of the Lord. 
which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. It doesn't say they're Jewish feasts. It says they're the feasts of the Lord, of Yahweh. And then in Leviticus 23:24, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Since these are feasts of Yahweh, we need to realize that Yeshua is Yahweh. One of the many places where we can understand this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, which says, No man can say that Yeshua is the Lord, or if I'm reading that in Hebrew, it would say, No one can say that Yeshua is Yahweh, but by the Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Spirit. So who is Yahweh? These are feasts of Yahweh. This is referring to Yeshua. It's Yeshua who fulfills the spring and the fall festivals. It is not God the Father who fulfills them. They are fulfilled through the Messiah. Rosh Hashanah is to be celebrated by those who are in covenant relationship with the God of Israel, which would include both Jews and non-Jews. Regarding the celebration of his festivals, it says in Deuteronomy or Devarim chapter 16 verse 14, And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant and your maidservant and the Levite and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are within your gate. Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 14 makes reference to the stranger. The Hebrew word is ger. And the ger are non-Jews who have joined themselves to the house of Jacob. Non-physical descendants of the house of Jacob who've joined themselves to the house of Jacob and are thus in covenant relationship with the God of Israel through Yeshua the Messiah. Therefore, when we read in the scriptures in Leviticus 23 that these are feasts of Yahweh, we need to understand that Yeshua is our host of the festivals and all of his family, all Bible believers, are his invited guests. A special season known as Teshuvah, which in Hebrew means to repent or return, begins on the first day of Elul. Now, this is not specifically commanded in the scriptures. This is a time of preparation that the rabbis set up so that you would be ready and prepared to celebrate the fall festivals. Elul is the name given today for the sixth month of the Jewish calendar. This name is a... Babylonian name. The season of Teshuvah ends 40 days after the first day of Elul on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur is the seventh month in the tenth day of the month. Tishrei, that's the Babylonian name on the Jewish calendar, is the name given today for the seventh month of the biblical year. 30 days into Teshuvah, that is 30 days after the first day of the month of Elul, is Tishrei the first, which is the seventh month and the first day. 
And this day, the Bible specifies as being Yom Teruah, but it's more commonly called Rosh Hashanah. Now to look at this pictorially, Elul is the sixth month of the Jewish calendar. The name is associated with the Babylonian name which it was given. Tishrei is the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. Tishrei 1 is Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah. Tishrei 10 is Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. And looking at this on a linear graph, you have the month of Elul, which is the sixth month from the first day to the 30th day. And then extending into the first 10 days of Tishrei, this 40-day period is regarded in traditional Judaism as the season of Teshuva. Teshuva means to repent or return. So the month of Elul was set up by the rabbis to prepare for the fall festivals. Beginning with Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah in the season of Teshuvah is a final 10-day period ending on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. These days are specifically called and referred to as the High Holy Days. The days between Yom Teruah and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, are known as the Awesome Days. And in Hebrew, this is Yamim Noraim. The Sabbath that falls within this 10-day period is given the name of Shabbat Shuvah, the Sabbath of Return. Five days following Yom Kippur is Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, looking at this graphically, once again, we have Tishrei is the seventh month of the biblical calendar. Tishrei 1 is Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah. Tishrei 10 is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Tishrei 15 is Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. From Tishrei 1, which is Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah, to Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, which is Tishrei 10, this 10-day period is called the High Holy Days, and the days in between are known as the Days of Awe. The Sabbath that falls between Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the rabbis called this Sabbath the Sabbath of Return. The whole month of Elul is a 30-day period of time that is set apart for the purpose of preparation, personal examination, and repentance for the coming High Holy Days. In traditional Judaism, each morning during the 30 days of the month of Elul, the trumpet, or a shofar, which is a ram's horn, is blown to warn the people of the God of Israel to return or repent. In a traditional synagogue, the shofar is blown after every morning service except for the last day of the month. After the shofar is blown, Psalm 27 is read. The message from Elul 1 to Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah is repent before Rosh Hashanah comes because Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. So repent before the day of judgment comes. Don't wait until after Rosh Hashanah to repent, because if you do, you will find yourselves in the days of awe.
Looking at this graphically, the month of Elul, which is the sixth month of the biblical calendar, is a time of personal examination and repentance. Each day a shofar is blown except for the last day of the month of Elul. And the shofar is blown in traditional Judaism after the morning service. The God of Israel always gives warning to repent before he proclaims and gives judgment. In Ezekiel chapter 18 verses 21 through 23 it is written, But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, notice what is called what is lawful and right, keeping his commandments. He shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions, which is not keeping the commandments that he has committed, that shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness, what's his righteousness? Keeping the commandments and repenting from sin or transgression. In his righteousness that he has done, that is repented, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked shall die, says the Lord God, and not that he should return or repent from his ways and live? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, says the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves, or repent, and you shall live, and he will forgive you. This is also stated for us in Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the exhortation of the God of Israel for repentance to happen before he proclaims judgment. Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 1 says, Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired, before the decree bring forth, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Seek ye the Lord, all you meek of the earth. Who are the meek of the earth? Those who will humble themselves and repent which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, which is following his commandments. Seek meekness. It may be that you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger or not suffer the effect of his judgment and his wrath. In Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, there is an exhortation to repent before the Messiah comes. And the scripture says, that the reason why the God of Israel is not judging the people on the earth in the end of days and why it seems like he's prolonging the evil in the earth is because he's long-suffering and he's desiring for as many people as possible to repent before his judgment comes. So it says in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. What is the message of Teshuva? Teshuva or repentance speaks to all people. To the unbeliever, teshuva or repentance 
speaks of repenting of our sins and receiving Yeshua as the Messiah. To believers in Yeshua as the Messiah, it is a call to examine our personal and individual lives and repent in those areas where we have departed from the God of Israel. For traditional Christianity and what the God of Israel is doing at this period of time in the earth, it is a call for them to examine all the biblical truths which are contained in scripture including the spiritual significance of the biblical festivals and how they teach about the first and the second coming of Yeshua and our personal relationship with God the Father and to identify with these things. Now let's look at Psalm 27 and what it says because the entire month of Elul, that is the month preceding Yom Teruah, is a 30-day time of preparation through personal examination and repentance for the coming High Holy Days. Once again, in traditional Jewish synagogue, the shofar is blown after every service during these days except for the last day. Psalm 27 is read at the end of the morning and the evening liturgy. Let's look at Psalm 27. It says in verse 1, The Lord is my light, and this is interpreted by the rabbis to refer to Yom Teruah, and my salvation. And they interpret this to refer to Yom Kippur. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. This is speaking about the troubles that are coming upon the people of the God of Israel in the end of days and the confidence that we need to express in Him by putting our trust in the God of Israel through Yeshua the Messiah. Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, that's a reference to the tribulation period, he shall hide me in his pavilion, that is, protect me from the things that are going on around me. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Who is called the rock? The Messiah. So our pavilion is our trust and faith in the Messiah in the time of trouble. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. You see the cry that is going out with the things that are going on? Hear my prayer. I'm going to offer you praise and thanksgiving. I put my trust in you. When you say, seek my face, my heart said unto you, your face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not your face far from me. You see, when he doesn't hide his face from us, he extends mercy. Put not your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path. That's following Torah and keeping his commandments. Because of my enemies. Why? Because of the enemies that are around me should I be taught his way and be led in the plain path, which is keeping his commandments. 
because he promised that if you would keep his commandments, that the plagues that are going on around you won't come upon you. Deliver me not over under the will of my enemies, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I would have fainted. In other words, in the natural, what's going on around you is very burdening. I would have fainted. I would not have been able to cope and survive and to hang in there unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So you can see how this psalm thematically goes with the season of the year. Yom Teruah, or Rosh Hashanah, is a time through the blowing of the shofar to cause us to be awakened from spiritual slumber. In the book Gates of Repentance by Moses Maimonides, who was a famous and respected Jewish rabbi of the Middle Ages, he iterated a call for the people of the God of Israel to awaken from their spiritual slumber. And in Yad Hechot Teshuvah 3.4, he writes, Awake, you sleepers, from your sleep. Rouse yourself, you slumberers, out of your slumber. Examine your deeds and turn to God in repentance. Remember your Creator, you who are caught in the daily round, losing sight of eternal truth. You are wasting your years in vain pursuits that neither profit nor save. Look closely at yourselves. Improve your ways and your deeds. Abandon your evil ways, your unworthy schemes, every one of you. Notice that the prayer that is associated that we be awakened from spiritual slumber, which implies that his people are going to be in spiritual slumber. We need to be awakened from it. The theme of awakening from sleep or spiritual slumber is found in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, as it is written. And that knowing the time, that now is the time to awaken out of sleep, which is spiritual slumber. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. This theme is also communicated to us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. As it says, wherefore he says, awake you that sleep and arise from the dead. That is once again your spiritual slumber and Messiah will give you light. What is the message and meaning of being awakened from spiritual slumber? It is associated with repenting of our sins. And it's also associated with putting the kingdom of the God of Israel first in your life and not being caught up with the busy things that are going on around you. If you're distracted by the busy things going on around you, you can also be in spiritual slumber because it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now let's look at repentance and what true repentance is. True repentance is an inner change of heart which leads the sinner to turn from evil and return unto the God of Israel. The desires to do good is constantly opposed to the desire to do evil. The desire to do evil is known in Jewish thinking and is referred to as the evil inclination. It is called in Hebrew the Yetzer Hara. Christians refer to the evil inclination as the desires of the flesh. True repentance then is a change of heart. And the scripture talks about when our hearts are far from the God of Israel, we have a stony heart. 
And so a stony heart is associated with the evil inclination or the desires of the flesh, which seeks to do the desires of the flesh and get caught up with the things of the world and the world system and lose focus on our covenant relationship with the God of Israel and putting his kingdom first and accepting Yeshua in our hearts and our lives. So that is contrasted to a heart of flesh, which is a soft heart, which seeks to obey the God of Israel and obey his commandments. Now let's look at Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, where Paul describes the struggle and this wrestling that we have where our heart wants to do good, but our flesh wants to prevent us from doing so. In Romans chapter 7, verse 14, it says, For we know that the Torah is spiritual. See, the Torah is spiritual. The word of the God of Israel is spiritual. But I am carnal, sold under sin. You can think of this as an association with the evil inclination. For that which I do, I allow not. For that what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that is, that which I don't want to do, which comes from the evil inclination, that is what my flesh sometimes does. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it. It's not my good desire, the part of me that wants to obey the God of Israel, but it's sin. It's the evil inclination or the fleshly desires that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh or the evil inclination, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good, that is the good nature that I would want to do, I do not. But the evil inclination which I would not, that is what I often do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is not me that does it, but it's sin that is pulling and pushing, the evil inclination that dwells in me. I find then a law or the evil inclination that when I would do good or want to do good, that the evil inclination is still present within me in drawing me away from doing good. But he says this is the solution to the struggle, Romans 7.22. For I delight in the Torah of God after the inward man. And what's the inward man? That is the man that has the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to overcome the flesh or the evil inclination. Romans chapter 7, verse 23 through 25. But I see another law, that is the evil inclination in my members, warring against the law of my mind, that is the part of me that wants to serve God, and bringing me into captivity to the law or the evil inclination of sin, which is in my body or my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Now in Romans 7:22 he says he delights in the Torah of God after the inward man and so that is the solution to the problem what goes along with that is the solution is Romans 7:25 I thank God through Yeshua HaMashiach so then with my mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh the law of sin so it is through Messiah and it is through the indwelling Holy Spirit where we are able to overcome the sin nature. There are 
three primary levels of sin or wrongdoing. The Bible describes these levels, it refers to them as transgressions, sins, and iniquity. Normally, in traditional Christianity, we just view that if we do wrong, then that's sin. We just got one term for it. But the Bible classifies sin according to transgressions, sins, and iniquities. We're going to look to see the differentiation between them. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, it says, And the Lord passed by before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin. Those are the three categories. What is sin? Sin is the Hebrew word hata, which means missing the mark or any wayward action due to carelessness, ignorance, or error. It just means I missed the mark. I didn't do what I should have done. It may have been out of ignorance, or it may have been out of my own errors. Iniquity is the Hebrew word avon, and avon means crookedness or departure from right conduct by consciously departing from doing what the God of Israel would want me to do, keeping his commandments. So I know I shouldn't do it, but I do it anyhow. Transgression in Hebrew is pasha, and this is absolute total rebellion and deliberate persistence of rebellion. Sin, missing the mark, iniquity, I'm making a decision not to do right, but transgression is I'm making the decision and I am rebellious and I'm going to do it and I don't care what the consequences are. We can be forgiven of these levels of sin. David proclaimed those who are blessed by the God of Israel whose transgressions, sins, and iniquities are forgiven. In Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 and verse 5 it is written, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man into whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity of my sin. Notice the key is confessing your sins and acknowledging your guilt before the God of Israel. It is the shedding of blood that atones for our sin. In Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11, it is written, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for your soul. We are saved or redeemed or become a member of the family of the God of Israel through Yeshua the Messiah by his shed blood and accepting him into our hearts and our lives and making him the Lord of our lives. Romans chapter 3 verses 24 and 25 it says, Being justified freely by the grace through the redemption that is in Yeshua HaMashiach which God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. We can also see this in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 as it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, that is Yeshua's blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Then 
we are told that in the new covenant we can be forgiven of our sins by faith in Yeshua and in his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 16 and 17 it is written, This is the covenant or the renewed covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my Torah into their hearts and in their minds will I write them, quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more, quoting from Jeremiah 31 34. There are three primary steps of repenting from our sins. The first step is confession. It is taught by the rabbis that the moment a man is willing to see himself as he is and make the confession, I have sinned, that the powers of the evil inclination or the flesh lose their control over him. So step number one is to confess your sins. Our sins are laid upon Yeshua. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6, it is written, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, Yeshua, the iniquity of us all. Yeshua bore our sins when he died on the tree. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it is written, Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray. We need to confess our sins unto the God of Israel. If we do this and trust in the shed blood of Yeshua to forgive us of our sins, we will be cleansed of our sins. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 7-9, through 9, it is written, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Yeshua HaMashiach cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The second step of repentance is to have remorse for your sin. The full realization of the seriousness of sin before the God of Israel should ultimately bring sorrow and remorse from the sinner toward the God of Israel for the sin that he has committed against the God of Israel. The third step of repentance is that we show that we truly have remorse by taking corrective action. Confession and remorse is not real unless it is followed by a solemn resolve not to repeat the sin. Reparation and reconciliation are the true tests of our sincerity to take corrective action against the sins that we have committed. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Those whose sins are forgiven by the God of Israel through the shed blood of Yeshua on the tree are commanded in the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament, 
also to forsake their sinful ways. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Messiah, Yeshua, depart from iniquity. In summarizing the season of Teshuva, the season of Teshuva is associated with the blowing of the shofar to prepare our hearts and to warn us that the judgment day of the God of Israel is coming upon us and we need to examine our lives and repent of our sins and we look inward to see those areas where we can improve our life and our walk under the God of Israel. One of the themes of Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah it is seen as being the birthday of the world. How is this so? Rosh Hashanah in Hebrew means the head of the year. Rosh in Hebrew means head. Shanah in Hebrew means year. Therefore, Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year. And actually, it's the beginning of the year in the biblical civil calendar. Because the God of Israel established in Exodus chapter 12 as the month of Passover, Aviv or Nisan, as the beginning of months, which would make this the seventh month of what is called the religious calendar. According to Jewish tradition, Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of the world or when the world was created, and this is in the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah 11a. According to Jewish tradition, Adam was created on Rosh Hashanah. This is in the Talmud in Sanhedrin 38b. How do the rabbis teach that it was determined that Rosh Hashanah was the day that the world was created? The first word in the book of Genesis, Breshit, which is translated in English, in the beginning, when rearranged, the letters being rearranged in Hebrew spells Aleph Betishrei, which means in Hebrew, the first of Tishrei. Therefore, tradition tells us that the world was created at this time. Now, if we look at Breshit in Hebrew, which means in the beginning, if you rearrange the letters and you put the Aleph at the beginning, followed by the Bet, and then you have the Tav, the Shin, the Resh, and the Yod, that this spells Aleph B'Tishrei, or the first of Tishrei, rearranging the Hebrew word Breshit. So the rabbis deduce from that that the world was created on the first of Tishrei. Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, is also known as Yom Hadin, or the Day of Judgment. There are 12 months in the year, and there are 12 tribes of Israel. Every month of the year has its representative tribe. The seventh month, or the month of Tishrei, is associated with the tribe of Dan. The rabbis teach that this has symbolic significance because of the words spoken by Rachel, the wife of Jacob, after Dan was born to Rachel's maid Bilhah. Genesis chapter 30 verse 6 says, And Rachel said, God has judged me, which in Hebrew is Danini, and he has also heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan, because God has judged me. Tishrei is the time of judgment. And judgment is associated with scales, and scales is the symbol for the tribe of Dan. The rabbis teach that Dan and Dean, this day being known as Yom Hadin, the day of judgment, are both derived from the same Hebrew root. Dan and Dean both contain 
the Hebrew D, which is a Dalit, and N, which is a Nun, symbolizing that Tishrei is the time of divine judgment and forgiveness. Every month in Hebrew has its sign of the Zodiac, and the sign of the Zodiac for the month of Tishrei is scales. So therefore, the rabbis link this month in this season as being the day of judgment, or the time of judgment. Yom Teruah Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Hadin, or the Day of Judgment, because it is seen that on this day the God of Israel sits in court and all men pass before him to be judged. We can see a reference to this in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, as it is written. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair on his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. Because it says the judgment was set, this is seen as being Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah. According to Jewish tradition, there are three books that are opened on Rosh Hashanah. We could find this in Rosh Hashanah 6b. The Pharisees of the school of Shammai teach that there will be three classes in the final day of judgment. One class is the holy righteous, one is the holy wicked, and one are the intermediates. The holy righteous are at once inscribed and sealed for the world to come, the Alam Haba, or eternity. The holy wicked are inscribed and sealed for perdition. This is found in the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah 16b and 17a. Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Teruah, is known as Yom HaZikaron, or the Day of Remembrance. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 24, the God of Israel specified that Yom Teruah, or Rosh Hashanah, is to be a memorial, and the word in Hebrew is a Zekaron. Leviticus 23:24 says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath, a memorial. The word is zikaron. You shall have a remembrance of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. There are two primary elements and aspects of remembrance in Scripture. One is, the Scripture tells us that the God of Israel remembers us, and secondly, we are to remember the God of Israel. On Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah, Jewish tradition teaches that the God of Israel opens a book called the Book of Remembrance and rewards the righteous for their good deeds on behalf of what they did for the sake of the kingdom of the God of Israel. We can see this in Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, as it is written. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that does not serve God. 
How do we remember the God of Israel? We do so by keeping his commandments. And that is how we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The children of Israel are commanded by the God of Israel to wear fringes on the borders of their garments for the purpose of remembering to love him and to obey his commandments. This is found in Numbers chapter 15 verses 37 through 40 as it is written. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes after which you used to go a whoring that you remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. From Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, this period of time is called the High Holy Days. The days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are called the Yamim Noraim or the Days of Awe. What is the spiritual meaning and application of the days of off let's first look at the personal application of this time of the year the days of awe have two very significant spiritual applications the first is personal and the second is prophetic personally these days are to remind us that yom kippur is fast approaching it is on yom kippur when atonement will be made for the nation of israel On Yom Kippur, atonement will be made for each individual person. It is Jewish tradition that the gates of heaven are open during the season of Teshuvah to receive the prayers of those who repent unto the God of Israel prior to Yom Kippur. The final service of Yom Kippur is called Nila. Nila is the closing of the gates. And at the conclusion of Nila of the Yom Kippur service, The rabbis teach that at that point, the gates of heaven are closed. At this point in time, it is symbolically seen that it is too late during the season of Teshuvah for the God of Israel to receive the cries of his people to repent because the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, has just passed. These are rehearsals, right? So this is teaching us there's got to be a time in the future that it's got to be too late to say, I believe that you are the Messiah. That we have to do it before that ultimate day. The prophetic application of the days of awe is that they are associated with the tribulation period or Jacob's trouble. The fall festivals will teach about the second coming of Yeshua as the Messiah ben David or the kingly Messiah. Prophetically, the days of awe teach about what is known in Jewish thought as the Hevle Shel Mashiach, or the birth pangs of the Messiah. Traditional Christianity calls it the tribulation period. The days of awe will focus themselves on the events that are happening in the land of Israel and the controversy over the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Jacob's trouble is mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 4 through 7, as it is written. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus says the Lord, We've heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. 
Ask ye now and see whether a man does travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but Jacob will be saved or redeemed or delivered out of it. Continuing to look at the prophetic application of the days of awe and their association with Jacob's trouble, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 3 and 6, it is written, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Therefore, let us not sleep, meaning let us not be in spiritual slumber, but let us be awakened by the sound of the shofar, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. In Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 through 8, it tells us that the tribulation or Jacob's trouble is a time of distress upon the earth. It says, How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt. And Yeshua made reference to this in Luke chapter 21, verse 26. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. We can also see this in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 which says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which stands for the children of the people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time the people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book, or written in the book of life. There are two primary stages to Israel birthing the Messiah. The first is a birth before travail. The second is a birth after travail. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 7 speaks of a birth before travail as it is written. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Well, how is it possible that we have the, the Messiah being the man-child, how is he able to come on the scene without the travail of birth. That is because the birth pains that was experienced at the first coming of the Messiah was after he ascended to be with the Father following his resurrection with the destruction of the temple that happened roughly 40 years after the resurrection of Yeshua, which caused a greater dispersion of the Jewish people into the nations of the world. The second stage of birth pangs are associated with the second coming, and these birth pangs are associated with Messiah coming back as Messiah ben David or the kingly Messiah. In the second coming, the birth or his coming comes after travail. This is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8. Who has seen such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? And the modern nation of Israel was born in a day. May the 14th, 1948. Spiritually, the birth will come at a moment in time. For the scripture says, as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. 
Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah is known as Hamelik, the king, or the day of the coronation. The recognition that the God of Israel is king over all the earth can be seen through the Jewish understanding and view of the creation of Adam in the Garden of Eden. According to Jewish tradition, it was late on the sixth day of creation when Adam was created. When Adam opened his eyes and saw the beautiful world around him, he knew at once that the God of Israel created him in the world. The tradition says that Adam's first words were, Yahweh is king forever and ever, and his words rang throughout the entire world. The God of Israel replied, Now the whole world will know that I am king, and he was very pleased. That was the first Rosh Hashanah, the first New Year. It is the birthday of man, and it is the coronation day where the recognition that the God of Israel is king over the whole earth. The spiritual application is when Yeshua the Messiah returns at his second coming, he will return as the kingly Messiah known as Messiah Ben David or Messiah Son of David. Yeshua is King of Kings. In Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 and 12 it is written, And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True and in righteousness he does judge and make war. The white horse symbolizes a king who is victorious. And how normally does a king be victorious? He conquers. He rules and he reigns. And so when Yeshua is coming back at his second coming, he's judging the whole earth and he's making war with the enemies of his people. The enemies of his people are his enemies as well. Revelation 19 verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. In Revelation 19 verse 13 and 19 verse 16. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who's the Word of God? That is Yeshua the Messiah. And he has on his vesture, on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Rosh Hashanah Yom Teruah being the day of the king or the coronation day is a major theme that's associated with this festival. When Yeshua returns and sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives, as it tells us in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 4, he will be crowned king over all the earth. At this time Yeshua will be playing the role of Messiah ben David, the kingly Messiah, and he will return to the earth and rule and reign during the Messianic era, and that period of time is known by traditional Judaism as the Atid Lavo, or the future age or the future coming. We can see this association in the coronation of Yeshua at his second coming in Daniel chapter 7 verse 9 and verses 13 and 14 as it is written. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit. I saw in the night vision and behold one like the Son of Man, who's the one like the Son of Man? It's Yeshua. And he came with the clouds of heaven. He's riding a white horse, as we see in Revelation 19. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. He's ruling and reigning. 
on the earth that all people, nations, languages are going to serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. When Yeshua returns to the earth at this time at his second coming and sets up his rule and reign over all the earth, which is known as the Messianic era, we have the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 14 verse 9 which says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth, and that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. We can also see that Every tongue will confess that Yeshua is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. And this is specified in Philippians in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, as it is written. But he made himself, that's referring to Yeshua, of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of of the cross or the death of the tree wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Yeshua every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Yeshua HaMashiach is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father if every knee is bowing they're bowing and acknowledging his kingship And who's the one that's king over all the earth? It is Yahweh. So Yeshua is the word of Yahweh. Now let's look at the enthronement ceremony of a biblical king. There are four parts to the enthronement ceremony of a biblical king. They are as follows. Number one, the giving of the decree. Number two, the ceremony of taking the throne. Number three, the acclamation. Number four, each of the subjects comes to visit the king after he has taken the throne. Step number one, the giving of the decree. With the giving of the decree is the declaration that we can see, and the reference to this is in Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, as it is written. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, You are my son. This day have I begotten you. What's associated with this first step is that a rod or a scepter is given. This is the emblem of a king. In Psalm 45, verse 6, it is written, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a right scepter, or a righteous scepter. A scepter that rules and reigns righteously. Yeshua has the scepter of a king, and he's been given the scepter of righteousness. In Hebrews, in chapter 1, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 8, It is written, God has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, You are my Son, this day have I begotten thee. Quoting from what we read in Psalm chapter 2. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But under the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, notice the Son is called God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. Step number two is the ceremony 
of taking of the throne. Next, the king sits on his throne, and at that time he's anointed as king. We can see this in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 39 and 46, as it is written. And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the trumpet. And all the people said, God save King Solomon. And also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. We can see Yeshua being king and sitting on a throne. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 and verse 9, it is written, And when he, that is Yeshua, had by himself purged our sins, that is after he died on the tree and was resurrected from the dead and ascended to be with the Father, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The right hand represents power and ruling and reigning and authority, being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. Step number three is the acclamation. During the acclamation, all the people shout, Long live the king. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 31, it is written, Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and did reverence to the king and said, Let my lord King David live forever. We can see the acclamation of Yeshua that in being king of Israel, there has to be an acknowledgement of him being king. And Yeshua says that this will be done in the period associated with his second coming. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 and verse 39, it is written, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Yeshua is referring to Jerusalem, and says unto her, You shall not see me henceforth until you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And this phrase, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, is a phrase that is said in a biblical wedding. And this phrase is idiomatic expression that means welcome. On the biblical marriage day, the groom is seen as being the king and the bride is seen as being a queen. So Yeshua is a king who is being welcomed as a king during this time. Step number four, the king's subjects visit him on the throne. During the Messianic era, all nations will be required to go to Jerusalem to worship Yeshua, the King of Israel. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16, it is written, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of hosts, that is Yeshua the Messiah, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Yeshua is referred to as the King of Israel in John in chapter 1, verse 49, as it is written. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, referring to Yeshua, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Yeshua is going to rule over the nations during the Messianic era with a rod of iron. 
In Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, it is written, And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And what is it that's going out of his mouth? The word of God, or the Torah, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod. This is referring to as a correction tool, a rod of iron. Next, there is the clapping of hands for the king of Israel. When a king of Israel takes the throne, all the people will clap their hands. In 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 12, it is written, And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony, and they made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. Psalm 47 is a coronation psalm. Let's read this psalm and see the associations with Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah. Psalm 47, beginning in verse 1, says, O clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. So they're affirming him being king. For the Lord Most High is awesome or terrible. He is the great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He's ruling and reigning during the Messianic era. Psalm 47, continuing in verse 4, He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. Selah. God has gone up with a shout, a teruah, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet, the sound of a shofar. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises unto our king, sing praises. The whole earth is proclaiming the kingship of Yeshua during the Messianic era. Psalm 47, verse 7, For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigns over the heathen. When's he ruling reigning over the heathen? During the Messianic era. God sits upon the throne of his holiness, and he's ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of Abraham. This is the restoration of both houses of Israel, returning back, and Messiah ruling and reigning over them. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. That is going to conclude the teaching on the themes of Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah. We can see in this teaching that there is a time of preparation leading up to the actual festival of Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah, and this is known as the season of Teshuvah. The God of Israel does not want us to suffer his wrath and his judgment. So therefore, he pleads with all the peoples of the earth to repent and to be forgiven of their sins, transgressions, and iniquities, so that they wouldn't come under the judgment and the wrath of the God of Israel when he judges the world and ultimately judges his people. Rosh Hashanah, or Yom Teruah, is known as Yom Hadin, the day of Judgment, And it's on this day where it's seen that the God of Israel judges the earth and he judges his people. This day is known as Yom HaZikaron, the day of remembrance. This is also the day that's associated with, according to Jewish tradition, the birthday of the world. And this is also a day that's associated with 
the coronation and the acknowledgement of the kingship of the God of Israel. Ultimately, this is fulfilled when Yeshua returns at his second coming and rules and reigns over all the nations from Jerusalem, teaching the Torah to all nations. So this covers some of the themes of Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah. Yom Teruah meaning the day of the awakening blast. And I pray that this message has been a blessing to you to help you to have greater insight and understanding regarding the themes and events that are associated with this festival. Let us always remember what is written in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. He who says he abides in him, he who says that he's a believer in Yeshua the Messiah, ought to walk, that is to live our lives the way he walked. And how did he walk? He kept the biblical festivals. He kept the commandments of his heavenly Father. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.